Welcome back to Plan for Everything with Blue Ridge Wealth Planners. My name is John Vandegriff. I'm one of the owners and wealth planners here at Blue Ridge Wealth Planners. I'm joined, as always, by... Zach Hill. Zach Hill. <laughs> the operations team lead and portfolio manager at Blue Ridge Wealth. Yep. I think this is the first time that you've introduced yourself. That is true, and I will stick with only those two titles. Yep. And so today what we want to do is try to make this podcast pretty uh, practical uh, from the aspect of, you know, let's say you're, you're listening and you are wanting to figure out how to translate some of what we've been talking about here into the way that you make financial decisions for yourself. So we want to talk about goals today and how that needs to reflect the planning that you do. And that's something that you know, I do on a daily basis uh, in my position as a wealth planner, but also that is affected by what Zach does from a portfolio management standpoint, because every portfolio that they build has some goals as well. So we want to talk about kind of a two-part discussion today. First, how do we fig or factor in um, the at or the practical side of planning goals for yourself financially, but then also how does that need to be reflected in the way that you invest money right. and the portfolios themselves. So hopefully this will be something that you can get a lot out of today. Um, again, we'll have resources and more information on the webpage, backandforthpodcast.com. Uh, so if you'd want to get any notes that we may have today um, or see any previous episodes and see how they impact some of the things that we're discussing. Uh, so as we look at that today, um, again, the big thing that we look at with goals is we want to make sure that we begin with the end in mind, meaning, you know, what is it that ultimately we're trying to accomplish? If it's a savings goal for a specific thing, obviously we should have an idea of what that is. With retirement, we have to estimate uh, sometimes what that will be, but then also what tools we're going to have to work with. So if you're on the younger side of the demographic, you know, Social Security would probably not be a wise thing to plan for um, because if Social Security was smart and did what they were supposed to have done all along, um, you know, <laughs> your full retirement age will probably be 85. Um, but as we look at it, you know, most generations that are, you know, on the cusp of retiring, you know, Social Security will be an important part of that. But factoring in what it is we want our life to look like. Um, and we can base it on what it is today and then inflate that number with inflation, you know, mm -hmm. increases over time uh, to try to figure out a number that will look ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Because you're going to look at this and say, how in the world am I supposed to have $4 million today or when I retire? Right. But again, I mean, it's a sign of inflation. Um, when we look at if you take people that are retiring today and their wage base when they started, mm -hmm. I mean, significantly less than anything that they're close to at the, you know, back into their working career. So, you know, and, and right. And even 2% inflation, if you, I, I was doing the math on this is if you just think, you know, the last 30 years, we've had relatively no inflation is what we say. We've like inflation has been so tight just after the 70s and 80s where we saw 10% inflation, 2% yeah. is the Fed's target. It's averaged between two and three for the last 30 years. But even at 2% inflation, if you think of, uh, you know, a $75,000 salary, uh, let's say that's what you're, you're like, I want, I want $75,000 a year in retirement yeah. at 2% inflation in 40 years, just with inflation, that's $165,000. Yeah. So that you're already thinking, well, gosh, that's, that's more than double, you know, what it currently is today, just with that's relatively no inflation. So that does always play an impact when you're talking about just these really long time horizons. Yeah. 
And, and so a big thing, you know, as you look at it from a goals perspective, if, if we're on the cusp of retirement now, you know, obviously it's going to be a little bit different discussion than if you're planning, you know, three decades from now for retirement. Um, but, but again, whether it is three decades or three years away, you want to outline what it is that you want, um, what, what, things do you want very practically uh, to be a part of your life? Because I actually heard a, a podcast that was talking about this. Very few times do people think about what they want their life to be like in retirement. <laughs> they just think about retiring. Right. And again, that's why as you look at it, one of the fastest growing um, depressed populations in our country is like males over 65 because yeah. they lose their purpose when their job ends and then they get to a point where they don't have very practical, right. functional goals that become a part of their life. And so we want to try to outline some of those things. And yes, you know, if, if even if it's three or 30 years, you know, a lot of that's going to be health dependent. Are you feeling good enough to go and travel all the time? Or, mm. you know, do you even make it to <laughs> retirement? Because again, you know, we're not promised tomorrow. So, so as we look at this, trying to build out as much of what the future looks like, but also from a very practical standpoint, you know, planning is not something that most people enjoy. Uh, and so it's kind of like when you want to be in shape, nobody enjoys the process of being in shape, but they enjoy <laughs> the end result of it, you know, or yeah. like the feeling that you have after a long run, you know, yeah. or like it's called work for a reason. I yeah. mean, <laughs> but, but as you look at that, let that end goal be the motivation for having the conversation. Cause again, yeah. if you don't focus on it now, you'll be lucky if you get there, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, as we start to get into the specifics of goals, I was thinking about what we've used here before is just ways to like, what is a goal? What it like, how do you define that? Like you said, like if we're talking about like in most people, they just say, I want to retire, but they don't have anything else outside of that. And that's how you start to get into danger territory where you think you've made a goal and you haven't made a goal at all. Cause everybody wants to retire. Yeah. <laughs> that's not a goal. A goal is I want to retire at 65 yeah. and make a hundred thousand and take a hundred thousand dollars a year in retirement. And with that, money I want to give to this charity I want to travel and you want to have these very very specific and measurable goals that uh, that are that you can actually start to think about and realize because if you just say you want to retire that's so flexible I mean do you want to retire at 50 do you want to retire at 70 do you want to keep working when you retire and just have a part-time job there's all kinds of questions that we can start to ask as we kind of open up the box of what does it mean to actually have goals yeah because the three kind of segments I look at is you know, what things do you want to do between now and when you stop working? You know, like, do you want to pay right. off your mortgage? Do you want to be in a position where you're able to, you know, save for kids' college and pay for it in cash? Uh, then what do you want to be the kind of markers of success for uh, whether you're able to retire? And then the third part of that is what functionally do you want life to look like? Right. You know, so, so as we look at that, I think those are very important things, and then they are going to be what casts the way that you make decisions about everything else. You know, because when mm -hmm. we sit down with somebody in a first meeting, the first conversation we'll normally have is what we call goals, strategies, and tools. And so we want to understand what the goals are that somebody has before uh, we ever recommend investments to them because I think that, you know, not only is compliant, but also very responsible planning. Right. Um, but, but really, the strategies that need to be a part of that are going to be built upon the goals that you have. And then the tools are just simply a byproduct of the strategies that you use. So if you need to generate an income of a certain level, understanding what that number is, but then seeing all the tools that you have that can generate income, 
mm-hmm. are a natural byproduct of that. So yep. uh, if you want a growth of a certain number or not to take a certain amount of risk, you know. Yeah, and tools is such a practical way to realize, to think about that too because you think like, you know, if at my house I have a toolbox and it has a lot of tools, but depending on what goal I'm trying to achieve based on the project I'm doing, yeah. I just grab different things out of that toolbox to to you know fix my lawnmower. I fixed my lawnmower yesterday, and I had to grab this the the right ratchet out of the toolbox. The toolbox has toolboxes for everything. So if I'm depending on which goal I have there, so if it is income of seventy five thousand or a hundred thousand, you know that changes which type which type of tools that I'm using to achieve those certain goals. Yeah. And then, you know, as you start to seep into investments, that's where I think, you know, and you can tell me if you, you feel like this is accurate. I would say too much of the financial world wants to push people tool-wise into one bucket. And, and that's you need to grow your bucket faster than the needs that you have from it. And as long as you take care of that, then you're good. Yeah, it's and it's different, too. Uh finance professors and researchers and everybody else do not look at people. They mm-hmm. only look at the market and they only look at the long-term prospect of the market. So the the rule of thumb that I used to use was if you invest in the stock market, you better be prepared to stay in, stay in it for 10 years because everybody who's doing research is saying 10 plus years. And yeah. this is what you, this is the type of research we do uh, because the day-to-day, as you know, the day-to-day, the month-to-month, even the, you know, six months is extremely volatile at mm-hmm. times. And so they tend to have that long-term mindset that only focuses on investments and their performance. I don't think, I mean, in all of my education and then also working at the mutual fund and the hedge fund, I don't think we ever (laughs) asked ourselves, what are people going to do with this product? Like, it wasn't that. It was we only looked at how are these investments behaving with each other and what is, how do we get the desired? And we had goals, but they were all performance-based. They were all investment-based. They never once sat down and looked at somebody's individual life and said, like, this is how we're going to achieve this goal for this person. And so that's a very different conversation that you have when you start to think about that because that just you start to actually put real life uh, measurables to it and that's a so the so like you said that the traditional finance world that you turn on CNBC and see that's that if you're sitting there watching it you're like well these guys make it look so easy and it's like yeah their their time horizon is infinite because they're talking about long-term stock like you know stocks or long-term markets they're not talking about Oh, you might need to withdraw twenty thousand dollars in the next six months. They don't. They don't address those concerns. Yeah, and I think you know, as you look at that, it's important to recognize that when you're evaluating the decisions that people are recommending you to take, because you know, as you look at it, if you have unlimited time and you don't need access, risk is meaningless. Yep. You know, I mean, as far on the short term. You know, because, again, the market has shown time and time again, whether it's a 20-year period, a 200-year period, it will make money. The longer you leave it in there, the better it is. Um, But when you get to a point where you functionally need this money, Mm -hmm. the game changes. You know, and so you've got to – and, again, if you're on the younger side of things, then, again, the recommendation is take as much risk, put in as often as you can so that you can get this bucket as big as possible. But once you start to get within – five to 10 years of retirement, I call it effectively starting to pump the brakes a little bit and say, okay, let's be aware of the risk that we're taking now. We may still decide to take a a pretty good portion of this and keep it in the stock market, but let's at least be aware of 
what type of risk we are set to take overall. Right. And if that happens, what is our response to it? You know, because right. again, it, it it's doing exactly what we're talking about from a, a practical goal setting standpoint and applying it to what are the goals that you have to respond to what your investments are doing? You know, because I think, you know, as we make the transition over to what should your investments be doing, you know, or, or how should you build an investment portfolio based on goals? Right. You know, you've got to also reflect that back and say, okay, based on uh, the goals that I have, those should trigger a certain response for me if certain things happen in my mm-hmm. investments. You know, so like if if investments are way above average, good, you right. know, I should have a plan to access some of that and decelerate the risk on it, you know, and, and keep that money. Right. Or if things are unusually bad, maybe <laughs> I take money that I've got in reserves and put it in so that I have a great buying opportunity. You know, so it's just... It's interesting the back and forth that goes on just from that dynamic of understanding what you want your money to do, understand what your money is set to do, and then those things will have, you mm-hmm. know, kind of a uh, interaction with each other. And again, keeping both of those in focus can allow you to make good decisions. And we've talked about this on this podcast before, where that is mental accounting, mm-hmm. is mental accounting and knowing what each of these goals are that you have personally, but also with your money and merging those two worlds and trying to make sure that you're always in perfect harmony with achieving your goals on a broader term and then having the assets and the investments that will achieve those goals and making sure that those two things line up because yeah. that's really what we're trying to do here is line all of that up so that all of your so that the ultimate goal of you being happy and confident in retirement is met. Yeah. And so all of those things are where we start to you start to align those and start to talk about well are these do these investments actually make sense for what I want to do? Because if you start like you said we start in the first meeting and start to talk about what are your goals. Mm-hmm. All right, well let's look at what you have and does that actually make sense or does it not? Right. And those two things are where we're starting to say like what we're actually doing is marrying the personal goals and the investment goals to one cohesive plan. Yeah, and having a focused mental accounting cuz like we talked right. about in that episode you will mental account something. It's just <laughs> right. your own bias will be your guide. But if you attach a goal at it, you kind of put that carrot out there and say, okay, mm-hmm. this is the direction I'm going in. Now you're making mental accounting steps that are moving towards something instead of, or something that you're choosing right. instead of moving towards something that. You just have never put a, a name on. Exactly. Know, so. And so that's why it's important to start with the identifying and having, you know, we, the measurable goals and very specific goals. And so you know exactly what you're striving for. And when you look at your portfolio, you know exactly what these assets need to be doing. Yep. Um, and so what's interesting, you know, with, with us at a, you know, kind of very defined client base, you know, for us, which is largely people 50 to, you know, moving toward 80, but, you know, in that transitioning to retirement, but also enjoying retirement phase, the investment tools that people use can be similar, but what Mm -hmm. you want them to do and how you position them can be drastically different. And so everybody's got a wrench in their tool, in their toolbox. It's just who's using it. And what are you using it on? Yeah, exactly. So, so when we look at it, retirement planning is very individualized, but at the same point, it's how an individual goes about using the tools and how they interact with it. And so what's interesting though, is, is 
through COVID and through a lot of the time that we had last year, you know, based on Zach's background, uh, Zach had worked for a mutual fund company, you know, managed a hedge fund. And so uh, when he started here, we didn't have a portfolio management department. <laughs> um, and, and then that was one of the goals is to grow into that. So with last year having a lot of time, it gave us the ability to analyze, okay, even though all of our client situations are different, what are the things that we typically need or we see needed in a client situation that largely we're not getting in a great way right. in the open market? You know, because I right. think, um, you know, everybody has a growth portfolio that they can go out and find, you know, but mm -hmm. can you find one that gives you enough um, diversity, you know, or enough transparency, you know, to, to know right. why you're doing and why you're taking certain levels of risk, you know? So, yeah. so as we look at that, it's interesting how, you know, even though the, the plans are unique, the needs and how much goes into each and how you access and interact with even those investments becomes very individualized, but also on a very broad spectrum. If you have two situations beside each other, they will be different. Mm -hmm. If you have 200 situations, you're going to start to see a lot of similarities between those, even though they all need different things. Right. They all need different things things in different ways, but yet they all need very similar tools. Right. Everybody needs some form of income in retirement. It's just how right. are you going to get that income and what does that look like and all of the different conversations around that. But the base need is still there. Yep. Like there are, there are very common threads across all retirees that we can kind of fit some of our uh, portfolios to say, you don't have, not everybody has the same allocation of all of the things that we do. It's not, you know, if we had investments A, B, and C, not everybody's going to be equally weighted in all three of them because everybody has different goals. But at the base level, everybody here that comes to us, the main goal is that they want to retire and be right. happy in retirement. And so that, that goal, we start from the same, you know, the same spot. And then however we decide to tweak what we do in our toolkit, like we said, uh, you know, that changes based on every, everybody's individual situation. Yeah. Cause so, I, th I like to compare what we're looking at from kind of the advisor wealth planner role is almost like a checklist, you know, where, where we're looking at it and saying, okay, here's a person, we're listening to what their goals are, but but in the order of importance, some things need to be ranked in a certain order based mm -hmm. on how important they are. So like what you acknowledge, I think the most important piece of retirement is how you generate income. Well, if somebody's got all their income coming from pensions and Social Security, you just check that box and <laughs> right. then you move to the next one and say, okay, now we need to assess the risk that they want to take. Well, if somebody's taking the right amount of risk, you check that box and then you go to the next. So you're constantly moving through that progression. And again, depending on what somebody needs and how complex the situation will be the longer that checklist becomes. Right. And, and a lot of times that checklist is driven by what the goals are. So so again, from a practical standpoint, identifying what you want, if you don't know what you want, it's going to be very hard for myself or any financial advisor, wealth planner to help you. Um, now we can have conversations to try to guide that, but ultimately you, the way you need to make decisions on your money is based on what you want it to do. Right. What you want it to do will differ from you know anybody else, and so you've got to hone in on that first. Then we start to have a very practical and, and real conversation about how you plan, and that's where we want to go to with how you invest money. So, you know, as we look at that, the practical side of this is something that we definitely help people with on a daily basis. So if you want to get more 
information on how that happens, like we said, backandforthpodcast.com would be a great place to get into uh, some more of that information. Contact us if you would like. Uh, but w- when we come back, we'll talk to Zach about how we go about building investment portfolios based on what we have as goals as well. Are you nearing the age of retirement? Is your 401k not looking the way you'd hoped all those years ago? Retirement is supposed to be a time to relax, a time to live. Here at Blue Ridge Wealth Planners, we strive to provide that service and opportunity. We can help you form a plan that will maintain and grow your retirement savings so that you can achieve what you envisioned when you originally set out on this journey. To see where you sit and what you can do to stand again, visit planforeverything.com. That's planforeverything.com. Blue Ridge Wealth Planners, let us plan for everything so you don't have to. Welcome back uh, from our break. We talk, we're talking today about goals and planning for goals, both from a practical sense, but also how that transitions into the way you need to invest your money. And so, you know, that is something that Zach does very well. That's what role he serves here. And as I mentioned before the break, you know, we built out our portfolio management department here largely during COVID when we had time, but also assessing uh, what needs our clients have, but also what holes we felt like were in the investment world. And so um, from a very high level, Zach, talk about, you know, the three models that we've done and and kind of what led to some of those starting. Yeah. So we do have three models. Um, They all have very different goals. And those goals were created just out of conversations that you were having with our clients. And you said, these are the three, these are the three starting places. So we Mm -hmm. could, you know, we start with three and then we'll build out more as we see more goals pop up across our client base. But really it was trying to achieve, you know, the end goal of being happy in retirement. But as we trickled through, as we trickled that down and we Mm -hmm. saw, you know, within this uh, allocation of uh, publicly traded investments, so stocks and bonds and other things that fall into those categories, there there were three portfolios that we could build out um, that would help achieve those, you know, that our retirement goals. And so the first one, as you, as you mentioned, um, like we've talked about growth, growth portfolio. So we had one that was focused on growth. The next thing you said is, uh, you know, every retiree needs income. So we have a portfolio that we tried to focus to generate income. And the last one was, what do you need to do if you're going to live a long time? Preserve your, preserve your wealth as well, because you want that, you want, you know, you want that uh, retirement portfolio to last the length of your retirement. And so we built portfolios that would really meet those three goals. And I think that as we, you know, as we drilled down and looked at all of our available options out there, we thought, well, people are, you know, everybody has a, their own definition of what they think a growth portfolio should look like. But have you ever sat down and asked, like, are they actually doing that? Are, you know, are these investment managers asking themselves these questions or do they have, you know, did they just say, well, the S&P 500 over the long term is a great performing asset. I'll just put it all there. And then they dress it up however they want. But at the end of the day, it's just the S&P 500. Well, the reality is, is Yes, the S&P 500 is a very strong performing asset over the long term, but there are all kinds of different times where there are other things you can invest in that have like long, you know, small, you know, small cap stocks or growth versus value and all these other things that when you ask yourself the question of, okay, I want to grow this money, am I making the best decision possible? And those are the questions that we really wanted to ask ourselves, which are... As 
sure, we have a growth focus. Are we making the best decision possible right now with this money to grow for the long term? And that's what we really wanted to do was asking us, it's the next question. It's the difficult question, which is, am I making the best decision possible? I don't know. The market will, you know, the market goes up and down, but I want to make sure that I'm making the decision that I believe is, you know, well-grounded in research and, you know, historical data and all of these different things to make sure that at the end, at the end goal that we're meeting, uh, or at the end that we're meeting the goals of the portfolio, which in turn helps all of our clients meet their goals. Which is interesting because most of the time, and I would say individuals definitely fall into this category, but I would say some financial advisors do this as well. They will purely invest money for growth based on what it did in the past or most recent past, you know, and again, all compliance, people say past performance doesn't indicate future returns, which is true. But a lot of times people want to build a portfolio that did well yesterday and not necessarily well tomorrow. Exactly. And so, uh, so as we look at that, I think there's a couple of things that go into that discussion, you know, keeping a, a, keeping tabs with what's currently going on, but also asking the question of, you know, based on what's going on, how can we spread our exposure to where we give ourselves the most likelihood of return no matter what, Right. you know? And the reality of all of this is, and this is what I, you know, kind of how I based all the decisions that, you know, we made in the portfolios is um, returns in the market are unpredictable. Mm-hmm. They are They are very volatile, and that's across stocks and bonds. Bonds can have unpredictable returns in short amounts of times as well. Um, and so bonds are less volatile, but they, they're, they're still volatile. Yep. And so as we're looking at this, it's, it's kind of a fool's errand to say, I just want to get 5% for the rest of my life. Because I don't know, like, what if the, you know, what if the market makes 20% for the next 10 years? Or what if it makes zero? Then 5% is all, yeah. it's all relative to each other. But the one thing that's not relative is what's the worst thing that's ever happened in the stock market? The, like, really, the Great Depression and the financial crisis. So we want to look at the risk side of things, which is we want to plan for all of the risk that you take by investing in certain asset classes rather than targeting returns because returns are going to be, you know, very volatile and all over the board. But I want to say that, you know, this is the amount of risk that we're willing to take. And then that's how we start. That's really the first step in building these portfolios is if, you know, if we've defined a goal as growth, that's great. Well, what's the maximum risk of growth and how do we take that risk and make it, you know, a, make that risk earn more return. And that's what we want to do is start to say, like, we're not targeting return, but we want to take what I was, I was calling them smart risks. Uh, I don't think, I I don't know if that's the best way to enter, but it's just, you've got to take risks somewhere, but you need to ask yourself the question of, is this really the risk I want to take? Yeah. Cause I think, you know, you hit a strong point and it it translates to both sides that we're talking about practical Mm -hmm. planning and then, um, you know, investments, you've got to control the things that are under your control, right? Like you cannot control whether you're going to pass away a certain time or not. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. I mean, you can, but not from a positive standpoint. Um, so, you know, as we look at the market, exactly the same thing, we can't make it return a certain amount. We hope it does. And over time it'll average a certain amount, but we can't do anything on the short term if the market returns just aren't there. You know, we've got to make sure though we control how much we give to it in each whatever right. area and let that be the driver of how we make those decisions. And I think, you know, as we look at that, that is a good thing to keep in mind because too many people will think, oh, well, you know, growing money is just this. And 
there are ways to be very lazy growing your money, mm-hmm. you know, just stick it in this thing and leave it alone. That should work over time. But how do you build something where it, it responds and, and makes decisions that try to improve that? Yeah, exactly. And that's because that's the question that if, if we talk about our income portfolio, for example, is if we just say, you know, for the last 30 years, long-term bonds, long-term treasury bonds have been one of the best performers. I'll get, I'll get income out of these. If I bought a 30-year bond 30 years ago, I, you know, for the last, I, I've been making 8% a year and mm-hmm. it's been great. And then, so I'll just keep doing long-term bonds. Well, if you look at the interest rate today and it's at 2%, you're, that's just not, that's not a smart risk at all. Yeah. You're taking a lot of risk there. You're not getting any yield for what you're, for the, amount of risk that you're taking, but you're just doing something that's done well, just because that's what you, that's what's done well and not actually taking a step back and saying, this is, you know, this is, this is the what the ten or what the thirty-year Treasury bond is making right now. It's it's yielding two and a quarter or two percent, you know, depending on the day right now, and that's just not smart. That's just not. You don't want to just keep throwing money at it just because that's what's done well. And you've mentioned that before. Is that so many people just like to say, "Well, this has always worked. It'll keep working." And that's just quite frankly, that's not true. It sometimes it looks really good, and it's you know, it's really easy to say. It's really easy to pitch. When we were talking about these portfolios, I said I can I can build a portfolio in 2005 that was the best performing portfolio in the market because I can look back and say I just yeah. would have done this. But that's not how that's not how real life works. Yeah, you can't just you can't just cherry pick and invest in the things that we're doing the best because that's they, that's not always how the markets are going to turn out in the future. Well, and I think too, you know, as we look at depending on what you want your money to do, when you're investing toward risky assets, you, you understand a certain certain rules that apply. You know, as far as the way you make the most of this bucket is exactly what you talked about before. You let it have time to flesh itself out and get mm-hmm. the return potential that you're risking for. But right. when you don't have that time and you have different <laughs> needs of accessibility, you have to get a little bit more specific in what the goals of a portfolio are. So, right. like, you know, as you've talked about the income position that we have, it is an income position, but it's more than that. You know, because like <laughs> right. you said, if we wanted to just build something that generated the most dividend today, like we can, and it would be higher than it is yeah, now. But do you, how do you like high yield bonds? How do you like the riskiest bond on the market? I can get you ten percent. You might not. You you know, the company might go bankrupt. So yeah. there's a lot of other risk with that. So that's exactly what we're trying to balance in those portfolios. Is so I think understanding what it is that you want your money to do, but then also finding investment tools that do that. Because like for us. Um, again, we have access to third-party managers. We've got access to, you know, stock pickers, different things. But if you look over the gambit of what's out there and you don't see what you're wanting, mm-hmm. then sometimes you have to do it yourself, you know. Right. And that's and that's kind of what – and we really noticed it in the in some of the income portfolios is I started, we started looking at it and saying – they really, you know, this income portfolio has a dividend yield of four and a half percent. That looks amazing right now. Cause like I just said, the 30 year treasury is at 2%. Uh, mm-hmm. So anything above that is an incredible dividend yield, but there's a lot of, there are a lot of risks in the market that are highly correlated with each other. And 
Uh, for example, in 2015, um, what they call the commodity super cycle busted and oil went dropped and the price of oil started dropping rapidly. Uh, and so as oil started dropping, if you had commodities in your portfolio, you were losing money. Well, guess what? A lot of oil companies and a lot of frackers are also high in the high yield bond space. So if you had high yield bonds to generate income and then you also had oil to fight inflation, but nobody ever stopped to ask, are these things, you know, if something goes wrong, are, are all of the correlations in this going to be so high where every, the whole portfolio loses money at once? And that's exactly what happened in a lot of people's portfolios is they, they, were, they had commodities in a, as an inflation hedge and they wanted to hedge against inflation because they had a lot of fixed income. Well, then they didn't realize that all the fixed income and the, and the commodity piece were going to be correlated if, you know, this the this worst case scenario happened. And so then what what I realized is diversification is really, really boring and it's horrible until it starts working and then you're super, super happy with yeah. it. But when it but you you know you have to ask yourself those tough questions before before you need it. You need yeah. to ask yourself, okay, which of these risks may be correlated? What kind of scenario would make these correlations rise? You know, if interest rates start rising because inflation starts going up, is that going to hurt the stock market as well? Do I need to have another piece alongside of that that could complement that scenario? And so you start to ask yourself those questions because if you just go all in and say, I just want high yield, I just want I just want the highest yield possible. Well, there's probably going to be some underlying risks there just because, like I said, certain asset classes don't appear correlated until they are, right. and then that's that is exact that's exactly the wrong time to realize it. Yeah, I always tell people markets are good until they're not. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, but as you look at it, I think that is another point that kind of comes back to goal planning. Is if you don't understand what you're trying to do, you never have a true grasp of how good something is doing. Right. You know, because like in 2015. The market was flat, you know, and so people were like, well, yep. gosh, my investments aren't doing good. And your investments could be way outperforming other things. And if it's flat, like sometimes flat is good, <laughs> right? you know, uh, when everything else is losing money, flat is optimal. Um, but again, for somebody that, you know, it, it's interesting when you have a focus on diversification, um, you know, some people will say boring is okay. Like we want to right. build something that's boring. The excitement is when you get nervous and when you make bad decisions. Because, again, it's real exciting for your statement to go up one month and then really far down the next month. But that may not be what that's... you want in your life. Right. You know, we want your excitement to be on the goals you choose, not the byproducts of how you invest. The excitement needs to be when you are able to go see your grandkids or be able to do travel and do the, do all those other things, not when you check your account balance. That is that is not the excitement that you want at, this, at that stage in life. Well, and I would say, I just thought, if you have too exciting of investments, it may make your life boring, meaning that you can't do anything. <laughs> right. You know, um, if you have investments that may be more boring, it could let your life be very exciting, you know, because yeah. you're able to have the things and have it very consistently. Uh, so again, you know, as we talked about the second model we built where, you know, in response to some income positions that we did have for some third parties, it lost a lot more money than we anticipated it could. And so we wanted to have something that was, you know, moderately aggressive, mm -hmm. uh, but still generated a good income, which is something we had to build, you know, if we right. and, have... and asking ourselves the question that I felt like the other managers weren't asking, which is if everything goes wrong at the same time, how is this portfolio going to hold up? Because, you know, 
we didn't we kind of figured this out last year during covid is that everything can go wrong at the exact same time and yep. that's that is precisely when you want diversification right. is when it feels like the world is breaking is breaking down and everything's going horribly that's when you need it and so i feel like that's a very important question that those managers weren't asking that we were using which was what happens if all these things go bad yeah and that's it's a very simple question but it's a really tough question to answer right and so then the third area, you talked about preservation. And again, even that one, you know, like we talked about with growth, like growth means making money. But again, it, in what way? You right. Know, preservation is a, a similar thing because, you know, people will say, oh, I've got preservation. I've got money in the bank. But you're really not keeping yeah. it. You know, it, it's even at 2% inflation, like I said, it, over a long period of time, that small amount of inflation will eat away at that, at yeah. that amount. And so, you know, when we had a, a portfolio that we wanted to build for preservation, there's a difference in preservation with access versus mm-hmm. preservation with no access. Because, again, the more access you want to throw in there, the more limited you're going to get from a return standpoint. But I think when you try to define preservation and access, the goal is figuring out what inflation is and how do you stay there right. or close to it or exceed it, you know. Right. And, and so I think that, you know, for the third model, isn't real exciting. You know, we talked about boring. It's pretty boring yeah. when inflation is minimal. But, you know, as inflation starts to increase, if you don't have the ability to ramp up with it, then... Exactly. And the and to be quite honest, it's the hardest model to manage and the hardest model to figure out because that is a tough question to ask is how do you achieve enough return to compensate for, you know, compensate for inflation and still keep that preservation status, but Mm -hmm. also allow people to make a little bit, you know, have some kind of decent return that's above savings account, above high. We've seen high yield savings accounts come into play with online banking. So we want to, we want to offer some incentive there, but also still, you know, have that preservation mindset. So balancing those two can be very, very tricky, especially when interest rates are at zero. Yeah. So if we've got a scenario now where we potentially might have three or four percent inflation with interest rates at one or two percent, and so there's a, going to be if you're just holding bonds, there's a negative two percent real return right there. Right. So it's it's overcoming the challenges like that, and we have to ask ourselves again: How are these assets correlated? Do I really want to be in bonds if that's the if I'm looking at potentially, you know, I say three or four percent because that was the most recent inflation rating. We don't know mm-hmm. how consistent that'll be, but let's say that is consistent, and let's say that the you know bonds stay at the one in the one to two percent range. Well, we've got to figure out how not o- we've got to figure out how not only to make the you know have some of the stability that bonds offer, but make more than that and mm-hmm. make more than inflation. Yeah. So that's those are always the questions that we have to ask ourselves. Well, then you, I come in and ask myself the next question, which is, well, if I I don't, you know, I don't like government bonds, but I need a little bit there. Well, maybe I'll go into high yield bonds and then wait, no, I've got to preserve my money. So I don't know how much I want in high yield bonds. So maybe a little bit there. And so we start to, you know, like I said, balance all the tools in the toolkit to say, how do we get a scenario where we at least, you know, meet and beat inflation and, but still keep what I would call that preservation status, which is you don't want to lose, you know, you really try as hard as we can not to ever have that portfolio lose more than 10% in a worst, absolute worst case scenario. And so you say like, well, that doesn't sound like preservation. Well, last March when markets dropped 30% in three weeks, 10% was looking pretty good because bonds were also losing money. Yeah. So that's, uh, those are the questions we're asking ourselves all the time. And when we're looking at that portfolio is do have we really uh have we gotten the 
optimal balance between growing and still, you know, preserving as well. And that's, that is a really tough act to follow. And that's why being, to be quite honest, it's, it's really easy to be a, uh, younger person, I'm 30, it's really easy for me to save for retirement. I cannot imagine the challenge that retirees are facing with low interest rates and with, with bonds at zero. This becomes a very tough time to be retired. So it's having people who are asking those questions and saying, like, are we exploring all the options? Are we doing meeting the goals? And are we constantly figuring these things out and doing this on a day-to-day basis? Well, and I think, you know, as we look at that, I mean, even in with Within those three options, I think the reason that we were able to build something there that halfway did, you know, I mean, more than halfway, yeah. you know, they're doing well, but but was even close to it is because we had a defined, this is what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And so we have something that we can measure against to say, does this fit into this, you know, right. situation? If not, then we don't consider it. We line up things. And I think that... That more than anything else, in my opinion, is the benefit of goals. Is just mm-hmm. it gives you a, um, you know, what I would call deal breakers in some way, where you can say, mm-hmm. okay, here's the list of things that I said I truly want, and then if you line up investments and opportunities against that, then it allows you to have a filter by which you can make decisions with. Because right. I think regardless of what area it is in life, we always want to compromise toward either what's available or what's easy, you know? And if we don't ever flesh out what it is that we're trying to do, like you acknowledged, like sometimes the conservative accounts aren't the ones that are real flashy and you won't get the credit that you (laughs) deserve for it, but it is the most complicated, but also maybe the most necessary, you know? So it's one of those where like if, if you just went toward the side of, um, the easiest, well, hey, just throw crap in the market and, you know, call it a day. And then, yeah, and then when you have, but if you have exactly what we saw, you get that bear market and you're trying to retire and your million-dollar retirement account is now worth, you know, $700,000, you're like, well, crap, I just lost three, four, five, six years on retirement right there. So yeah. you've got to ask yourself those questions all the time. But I think it helps to identify like we're not talking about goals just because we want to build complexity. I would argue taking the time to build the goals makes it to where you have a filter to make things easier. You know, yeah. so it's where do you want to invest your time? Do you want to invest it at the beginning and then have a filter that helps you make decisions or do you want to not do anything now <laughs> and then try to figure it out at the end in the middle of it? You know, it, it's just from a practical standpoint, trying to use goals as a friend instead of a, looking at it as a job, I think, exactly. you know, can, can be something that's super valuable. So, yeah. so as we look at that, again, hopefully that was helpful to not only see, okay, yes, goals are important, but also see the way that goals are affecting the way that you need to invest money. Because, you know, from a practical standpoint, you know, even in just the three models that we're managing, those are all meeting different objectives. But to build those out, we had to see, okay, what are the things that we're actually looking for? What jobs do we need done? And then how do we get something that's a stopgap, you know, fix for that? Um, and, again, if, if things progress and we now need another thing, then we can build something else knowing that we have these opportunities that we're currently using. But also, based on what we need to do, uh, this right. now gives us a, an outlet to say, okay, the next direction that makes logical sense is now moving in this way and building a new thing, you know. But if we don't ever have the conversation, then we're just, you know, throwing darts against the wall and hoping that we, you know, <laughs> end up with something that's somewhat feasible. So exactly. anything to add on that, you know, as we 
kind of wrap up here? No, I think that it's, uh, I want to say this just because I was thinking as you were speaking, which is goals are so important for everybody from ages. I mean, if you're thinking about, we'll just stick to the investing world from 18, when you can open up a retirement account to, you know, when you're in retirement at the very end, the entire time goals are extremely important. And as we think about that, you know, we have talked about it almost exclusively from the retiree standpoint, because that's who our clients are. That's what we're constantly doing on a day-to-day basis. But to get to retirement, you had to save for retirement and you had a goal that was a lot, you know, if you, that caused you to save through the entire time. If I didn't want to retire, I don't need to save for retirement. Right. So I even start, you know, I, I start with, I want to retire and I want to retire at 70. So I, let's say I save X percentage of my salary that'll get me to that point. So we start, yeah. so goals have permeated every aspect of your life, even if you haven't explicitly set them, but it makes it so much easier when you do. Right. And again, it, it makes it to where the earlier you start goal planning, the more you will accomplish. Like it's just exactly. no you, question. Yeah. You know exactly what you need to do to, to get there. Yeah, because you may just by pure luck and life get to a point where you accomplish things. <laughs> but the more you identify and the more you focus your time on the right things, the more you'll be able to spend time doing stuff that allows you to accomplish what, what's important to you. You know, and we all, everything that we spend time on is something that has some level of importance. You know, even if we don't like it, it's important to get paid. Right. And so you have to have a good <laughs> a job, you know, and so. Uh, but whenever we're able to spend the time appropriately and focus in on the things that are important to us and the things that we're trying to accomplish, I think that's where you get the, you know, maximizing of the resources and then, you know, allows you to accomplish the things and maybe quicker than you thought. Right. You know, so hopefully you enjoyed this episode of Back and Forth. Again, if you have questions, comments, um, you know, or want more information, go to backandforthpodcast.com and, um, We look forward to um, seeing in what ways we can help you in the future. But as far as today, that's all we have. So talk to you later. Investment advisory services offered through Blue Ridge Wealth Planners, a registered investment advisor. Securities offered through Madison Avenue Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, MAS, and Blue Ridge Wealth Planners are not affiliated companies.